Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley, and welcome to an opportunity to worship the Lord this morning. We want you to come to your feet wherever you are. We want you to raise your voices, put your hands together, and give God some praise. Let everybody in your neighborhood know that you are praising the one and only Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Your voice can make the darkness turn to light. Your word can make the hopeless heart tonight. You speak and mountains tremble, the earth and sun stand still. No one can comprehend your endless fight. Who am I that you would find me here? All right, here we go. Come on. Thinker of the heavens knows my name. The author of the oceans gave me grace. Come on. My soul, my soul will ever sing your praise. Almighty God. Almighty God. Come on. those hands together you can do it come on sing who am I who am I that you would find me who am I that love would draw me who am I that you would die to save a broken soul like mine oh Lord who Oh, my. 
praise him in all circumstances. You got to raise your voices up. Come on.
I want you to think about these words we're going to sing. How we need the Lord each and every day, especially now. something 
you lift it up to the Lord right now? Tell him, I need you, Lord. We're facing a lot of things each and every week. And as you tune in, this is an opportunity for you to connect with God. You are not alone. Tell the Lord, I need you. Lift your voice up. Give him praise. Change your perspective. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. You're my one Defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our heart's cry this morning. That we'd reach out to you, Lord. Be in your presence and feel you. Know that in all circumstances, you are a God who has us in the palm of your hand. Help us to know that whatever we're dealing with, we can lay it at your feet, knowing that we don't need anything else in this world. We need you. We need you to come into our lives and to work from the inside out to help us be the vessels that you want us to be. Lord, there are people that might be tuning in this morning that don't even understand what it means to have a relationship with you, Lord. I pray for those hearts this morning that they would realize there's something missing and they need you. And they would reach out and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Lord, I pray for your word this morning to penetrate its hearts, to speak powerfully through our time together, Lord, and to have your way. We give you praise in all things. In your name we pray, amen. I was lost and I was an alcoholic, but God, he found me. I am found and I am sober eight months and I now know what my purpose is.
Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad that y'all are here. I'm gonna be real honest with you right now. I've definitely tried recording this like 50,000 times, but I keep messing it up because I'm a human being and I need Jesus. So here's hoping that Marcus gets it right this time. So <laughs> we just watched a video together, right? About Rooted, about our upcoming fall virtual Rooted semester. And we are absolutely thrilled to see what the Lord will do in and through it. If you're unfamiliar with Rooted, it is a 10 week small group discipleship study that is going to encourage people to dive into seven different biblical rhythms that are crucial to the Christian walk. And in doing so, you're going to grow closer to Jesus. You're going to grow closer to other people. And you're also going to grow in your purpose, the very purpose that the Lord has established and prepared for you since before y'all was even born. It is such a tremendous opportunity, y'all. Let me tell you something. It has been crazy. All right. It has been crazy for like the last five and a half months. We have been hit with so many different things that have been informing our minds and informing our hearts. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus has not changed, even though so much has changed. And we need to root ourselves in Christ. And when we are rooted in Jesus, the fruit that we bear will be fruit that will bless other people and will glorify our Father in heaven. And so maybe you've been in a funk. Maybe you're like, I don't know how to grow my relationship with Jesus, or I've just been very spiritually stagnant. This study is for you. It's for anyone, all right? And I get it, y'all. It's virtual. Nobody trying to do virtual right now because we much rather would be in person. I totally get it. That's not the ideal platform, but it is a platform. So we just want to make sure that you know that it is available to you, okay? You can register online, svcclamore.org. And we also have been pushing it on social media and email as well. The deadline for registration is Wednesday, September the 2nd, which is next week, y'all. So you have a small window to just take a leap of faith and click all the, the, the buttons and do all the, all the things and you're good to go. I don't know what's come over me. I think that's because it's been 50,000 takes. Next announcement. We as a staff have been prayerfully considering how we can conduct and carry outdoor services. And in September, we would really love to be able to begin doing that on a Sunday morning. But there are a lot of details that are involved with that, a lot of logistics that not always are thought about. And so we want to make sure that if Sunday morning is going to be a, an opportunity for outdoor gatherings to be consistently done, we want to do it right and we want to do it well. And we want to do it in a way that respects our community because we are right in the middle of a neighborhood, y'all. So if you wouldn't mind joining us in prayer as we pray together and discern how we can offer outdoor services. We would absolutely love that. And we thank you in advance for keeping us in prayer. Some of you have reached out and let us know that you've been doing so. And it just fuels us. It blesses us to know that that is happening as we endure and face and troubleshoot and work through some of these different avenues of consideration. So Please join us in prayer as we evaluate how we can do that, and we will keep you in the loop, hopefully within the next week, about what has been decided and how we'll be able to carry that on. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are a SBCC family and this is your church home, we uh, just want to remind you that we still have our online giving available, and we thank you so much for you taking on that spiritual discipline and obedience, and you can go to svcclamore.org and click donate right at the top of the right-hand corner and give your offering there. Or you can just bring it to the church office. There's a spot right through the door. Y'all, I think I did it. I think I got everything I needed. I'm gonna go ahead and let you go. Thank you. We love you. And may the Lord bless and keep you as you continue to seek his heart.
Bye, y'all. Hello, South Valley family. I cannot again tell you how much I miss getting to see you all and how much I love you. I was thinking of a passage of scripture uh, that we studied some time ago in, in our Bible study out of Philippians chapter one, and I understand it probably more now than, than ever before, and I think you'll understand when I, when I quote it to you. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, chapter one, he said this, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I truly understand that. As one of your shepherds here at South Valley, I miss getting to see you and interact with you. I trust that you're growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're hanging in there. You're enduring tough times, as Paul put it, as a good soldier of Christ. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Our Father, right now we need your Spirit to open our hearts and our understanding that we might receive the truth of your Word. I pray for every heart listening to this message that it would be receptive like good soil. It would receive the Word. Bless our time in the Scriptures right now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2,000 years or so ago, a mother gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. She held him on her knees. She hugged him. She poured her love and kisses upon him as a mother would do. His parents chose for this boy one of the most honored names in all of Hebrew history. They named him Judas. The mention of the name reminded folks of a military hero by the name of Judas Maccabeus, a man who led many battles against a despotic madman by the name of Antiochus IV. Antiochus was a Syrian who the Greeks had allowed to rule over the region of Palestine from 175 B.C. to 165 B.C. He indeed was a madman. He actually called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. Those of his enemies nicknamed him, though, and called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means insane one. He was a wicked man. He had been the cause for the slaughter of countless thousands of Jews. It was his goal to eliminate the Jewish religion. He thought himself to be the embodiment of the Greek god Zeus. His hatred for the Jews was so intense that he actually desecrated the Jewish temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar, which is the most unclean of animals in the Jewish mind. And then he forced the priests to eat the flesh of that slaughtered pig. And if that was not bad enough, then he set up a statue in the temple of Zeus 
the very God he thought himself to be the embodiment of. Wicked man. But because of repeated military losses at the hands of Judas Maccabeus, he eventually went entirely insane shortly before he died. What joy was this mother as she held in her hands this little baby Judas. It was an honored name in that day. Now I can tell you that I have never known someone named Judas. I've known others with Bible names, Peter, Paul, John, Ringo, not Ringo, uh, Andrew, Matthew, James, but I've never met a Judas. That's not to say that they aren't found. I'm just saying I've never personally met one with that name. It's not really a popular name in our day. Judas, if you've read through the scriptures, you know, was the ultimate tragedy. And while his mother rejoiced at his birth, do you know what Jesus said about him? Jesus said this about Judas. It would have been better for him if he had never been born Judas's name is a tragic story of lost opportunity. If you go through the New Testament Gospels, you will find that every list of the disciples' names, Judas's name is always last. How tragic for him because you see, above all things, Judas wanted to be first. That's how Satan deceived him. Uh, that's how much like Satan he was because Satan wanted to be above all. He wanted to ascend and basically take over the throne of God. And Satan ended up below and beneath all. And Judas, much like him, was beneath, beneath what he should have been. Here was Judas's problem. He wanted a kingdom with his own brand of king. Jesus over the years that he had been with him had proved to be just a complete disappointment to Judas. I mean, if you went back uh, to John chapter 12, in John, excuse me, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, Jesus feeds the, the multitudes, 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 15, 20,000 people with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And, and the, John tells us that after Jesus had done that miracle, that they sought to come and take him by force and make him a king. And of course, Jesus immediately made his disciples get in a boat and, and get away from there so that they would not succumb to the pressures of the crowd. No doubt in my mind that Judas would have loved for Jesus to have taken that opportunity and become the king. You see, Judas wanted a kingdom, but he did not want the kind of king Jesus was going to be. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. I hope you will take a copy of the scriptures because for the next couple of weeks we are going to be in John chapter 13. If you're there, Judas was rebuked by Jesus in chapter 12. Jesus had been having dinner, sitting around the table when Mary came in with a 
alabaster vial of very expensive spikenard, a perfume. It was worth more than the average worker would make in one year. And she didn't meter it out to Jesus. She took and broke it so that it could no longer be used, and she poured all of the fragrant oil all over Jesus. And Judas, being the kind of man he was, began to complain that it was just a waste of money. And Jesus rebuked him for that. So we shouldn't be too surprised when we get to chapter 13 of some of the things that takes place. You see, he wanted, he wanted what Jesus could potentially give, but he didn't want who Jesus was. And so when the opportunity presented itself, Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now you'd think he would have asked for more. Or at least had the religious leaders throw in a few perks. I mean, how about an all-expense paid to Caesarea down and lay out on the Mediterranean sands and enjoy that 30 pieces of silver? It's not a whole lot of money, but it was substantial enough. He could have taken it and used it for something. But no, all he wanted was 30 pieces of silver, and he took it, and he betrayed the Lord for that. And really, that shouldn't surprise us much because there are still people today who will sell Jesus very cheaply, won't they? There are people who, are for, who will forsake going to church because somebody said or somebody did something that, they, that, that, that offended them. And they'll walk away from Jesus because of somebody else. There are people who will not give their heart to Jesus Christ because they're afraid of what it might cost them in terms of their income. Like Judas of old, they'll sell Jesus out for fear it might inconvenience their self-centered life. If you're in John 13, it mentions Judas, but John 13 is not important because of what it says about Judas. Chapter 13 of the Gospel of John is important because of what it says about Jesus. It has been rightly said by one man, it said, he who put it this way, in John 13, Judas's treachery, failure, debauchery, and duplicity is but the black velvet background on which the radiant diamond of Jesus' character is displayed. Chapter 13 reveals a contrast between Judas and Jesus. Jesus, the perfect one. Judas, the perverse one. Jesus, the holy one. Judas, uh, Judas the hellish one. Jesus, the pure one. Judas, the polluted one. What I want us to see today and in our next study next week are six principles about Jesus that will help us to see our Lord Jesus Christ clearly during the growing darkness of the days in which we live. We will look at our Lord and the growing darkness of our days. We're going to see Jesus shine so brightly. I want us to join each other right now and looking at John chapter 13. Here is the dark background of John 13. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And here it is. 
And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas has willingly played into the plans of Satan. After three years of witnessing countless healings and miracles and listening to the amazing teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is now filled with contempt for this man and willfully chooses to betray him, to sell him out. It's already in his heart to do this. Now in the verses that we're going to look at, there are some things that we're going to see that will encourage your hearts, especially during the difficult, dark days in which we live. First of all, and if you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, you know this, our Lord is never surprised. He never is surprised. I want you to note the knowledge that our Lord has. Verse 1 again. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. Now, folks, John is repeating what Jesus had recently said in the previous chapter. If you went back to John 12... And you might just look back there at verse 23. But when Jesus, but Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now this is a reoccurring concept in the book of John. This whole concept of a divine time clock. Uh, you can go back to the early chapters of, of John. Jesus is at the, the wedding in Cana of Galilee and his mother approaches him and tells him, hey, the, the master of ceremony says that they're out of wine. And listen to Jesus' response to his mother. He said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And that's the first time in the Gospel of John that we see that Jesus is on a divine time schedule. You, you go to chapter 7, this time Jesus is interacting with his unbelieving siblings. Joseph and Mary had other children, and they're talking to their brother, stepbrother Jesus. And Jesus tells them in verse 6 of chapter 7, my time is not yet come. Two verses later, in verse 8, Jesus said, My time is not fully come. In John chapter 7, now down to verse 30, Therefore they, that is the religious leaders, sought to take Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. You go to chapter 8, verse 20, These words Jesus spoke in the treasure as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. And then when you get to chapter 12, verse 23, it's like God's timer went off. And verse 23 said that Jesus said this, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So in, in chapter 13, John just reiterates what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his hour had come. But Jesus' knowledge again is stated in verse 3. Look down at verse 3. Jesus knowing 
that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. His knowledge also includes Judas's actions. Drop down to verse 18. Jesus said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And right there, Jesus is quoting Psalm 41, verse 9, that says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed that the scripture might be fulfilled. And the betrayal of Jesus did not take Jesus by surprise. Go back to John chapter 6. You're going to get some workout scrolling through your Bible. John chapter 6, verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. You know what? Some people get the idea that Judas was saved and then lost his salvation. Folks, he was never saved. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was not a believer and he never was a believer and he had never really trusted Christ. He was a tag-along, but he never fully trusted Christ. Don't ever use Judas as an illustration of somebody that has lost their salvation. He never had salvation. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas did not trust him, did not believe in him. As a matter of fact... If you drop down and you're in chapter 6, drop down to verse 70. I hope that you're, you're, you're making some notes in your Bible or highlighting this. I know there's a lot of scriptures. I got told the other day that, that I'm old school uh, when, it comes, when it comes to preaching. And I don't know if it was meant as a compliment. I took it as a compliment, but I'm hard of hearing. They may have actually said you're an old fool when it comes to preaching. I'm not sure. But I want you to to take your Bibles and I want you to highlight these things because they're all connected. Great cross-references. Look at verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. When Jesus, excuse me, when Judas did what he did, it surprised all of the other disciples, but it did not surprise our Lord, did it? You see, nothing ever suddenly occurs to our God. He knows the beginning from the end, doesn't he? He knows the future. Back in John 13, look down at verse 19, just connecting all of these passages. Verse 19, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. In some of your Bibles, the word He is italicized. The reason it is italicized is because it is not part of the original manuscripts. It is actually supplied by the translator to bring clarity. Jesus literally says that you may believe that I am. You know what he's doing? 
once again, and this is also a reoccurring concept in John's gospel, he's equating himself with none other than the Almighty, the I Am. Folks, I Am is the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. It is the most sacred name of Jehovah. Jehovah is the great I Am that I Am. And folks, he knows the beginning from the end. Jesus knew ahead of time who it would be that would betray him. And furthermore, he knew even when he chose Judas. And then you want to add some more to that? It was written hundreds of years before it even happened. Jesus is never surprised. But our second point, Jesus is always in control. He's always in control. Look at verse 3 of John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God. In just a few short hours, it will look as though he is not in control of anything. They're about to take him, bind him, carry him away, and crucify him. But he's in complete control. Folks, he's not a victim here, is he? Jesus said, no man takes from my, my life from me, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can take it back up again. He's always in control. In verse 13 of John 13, just drop down, look at this. This, what, this is what Jesus says. You call me teacher. Some of your Bibles say master. You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. Folks, he was Lord of the situation that day. Nothing surprised him. And nothing is remotely out of his control. The treachery that Judas committed, he knew what was about to take place. Jesus was not surprised by it. He was in control of it. I like what somebody said. Where God does not rule, he overrules. You see, Judas's actions are, the, are sort of the dark background of John 13. Judas meant it for evil. The devil put this in his heart. He is sinister in what he is planning to do. But you can rightly say that God used it for good. You know how God does that? Let me show you a wonderful passage in the book of Isaiah. This is a great cross-reference, so make sure you make note of this. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. Now think about that. God is going to do whatever He wants to do. He, is, he says things are going to happen that have not happened yet. And He says, whatever I say is going to happen, my counsel will stand. I will do all of my pleasure. Now let me just give you a little bit of an application thought. I don't want to, I don't want to rabbit trail, but I just thought, well, how can we apply this in, in where we find ourselves today? We are facing 
an extremely important election this November. Whichever the side of the fence you're on matters not. It is important that we have this election. But just know this. Our awesome God is in absolute perfect control no matter, no matter who gets elected, right? Listen to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. And I don't think I have this one on the screen. Maybe I do. All of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth... No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can ask God. Nobody challenges him. He doesn't take counsel from us. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Daniel puts it this way in the very next chapter. He says, the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Nobody can stop what God does. Nobody. God is in control. Folks, Jesus Christ is God. He is the I am. And I guarantee you, in the black, dark background of John chapter 13, he's in absolute control. Let me give you another passage. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, In Him, that is in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to, here it is, the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now folks, that's not just speaking about your salvation. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Do you understand that whoever gets elected in the midst of the chaos that our nation is in, it is because God has done whatever he would do after the counsel of his own will. Think about this. Man proposes, but God disposes. And the Bible clearly states that God has a plan. Even when Judas betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, all of that was in the plan. It was a fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah's words in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Think about this. Judas, Judas is a type of, of antichrist. I'm not stretching it when I say that. In John chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus himself gives Judas the exact same title as the actual Antichrist, he refers to Judas as the son of perdition. Now, I'm sure most Bible students would agree when, when I say that our, our chaotic world right now really is ripe for the Antichrist. 
Many of us believe that the Antichrist may already be alive, standing in the wings, kind of waiting to be revealed. If you're a student of the Bible, you perhaps think that. But I want you to know, even if that is the case, know this, that doesn't mean things have gotten out of God's control. You see, God gave him a number. What is it? Six, six, six. But I want you to know something. 777 is still in control. And some of you know what I mean by that. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit never meet in an emergency session. Because nothing ever happens that they're not aware of and that they're not in control of. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. There is no attribute of God that is more comforting to the children of God than that their Father is in absolute and total sovereign control. Those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we gladly bow our knee before the throne of God and acknowledge His right to sit on that throne. We gladly acquiesce to the kingship of God over all the works of His hands. On the other hand, there is no truth, I think, that's probably more hated by those who feign a belief in God. Oh, they will allow God to be everywhere except on His throne. They'll allow Him to be in His workshop to fashion the, the world and make the stars. They'll, they'll allow Him to dispense His gifts and impart His blessings. They'll allow Him to sustain the earth and, or, or light the lamps of heaven or, or rule the waves of the ocean. However, when God ascends His throne, these religious people gnash their teeth when we proclaim an enthroned God. They don't like sovereignty. They hate when we proclaim God's right to do after the counsel of his own will and to do as he disposes to do with his creatures no matter who they are. He does whatever he thinks best and people don't like that attribute. That is not the God they love, but it is the God upon that throne that we love, isn't it? We love that. That gives me comfort in the day that I'm living right now. Knowing no matter how chaotic things get, no matter how dark the days are, the sovereign God of the universe is enthroned. Men may turn a deaf ear to us when we proclaim a God on His throne who carries out the counsel of His own will. But Father, it's, it, but listen folks, it is God upon His throne that we trust. And I hope that encourages you. I hope that gives you strength to face each day. I want to close our study with some words from Habakkuk. I studied Habakkuk a couple of years ago, and it's just a great book. It's a book you love and hate at the same time. And I, I say that because we can relate to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was, a, Habakkuk was a, a prophet who prayed for Israel. He wanted God to bring Israel back to him. And he, saw his, he says in chapter 1, he says, How long, Lord, what am I going to cry out to you? Have you ever cried out to God and just wondered if He's ever going to answer you? How long will I'm going to cry out to you and you not hear me? Even cry out to you, violence, and you're not going to save. Why do you, he says, Lord, why do you show me iniquity and, and cause me to see the trouble in the land? For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contentions. There's riots, right? That's, that's kind of what he's saying. There's riots in the streets. 
And verse 4 says, and therefore the law is powerless. Does this sound remotely relevant? And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgments proceed. God, are you ever going to do something about all the chaos our land is in? Well, God responds to Habakkuk's complaint, doesn't he? And God tells Habakkuk, okay, I hear your prayers. Listen to me. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, Habakkuk, for I will work a work in your day which you would not believe though it were told to you. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind, Habakkuk. (laughs) For what I'm going to do, he goes on in verse 6, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. They're a bitter and a hasty nation who marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're just going to come in and take over. They're terrible and dreadful, verse 7 says. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Now listen, this was not the answer Habakkuk wanted. This is not what he was hoping for, right? This wasn't what he wanted for his beloved nation. But as you read through the rest of the book of Habakkuk, God begins to reveal to Habakkuk his plan for dealing with his people Israel as well as what he plans to do with the Chaldeans. And what you see as you read this book, that there's this gradual surrendering on the part of Habakkuk. And he begins to acknowledge God's right to carry out his purposes and his own plans. In other words, God, you're enthroned. He comes to the conclusion, you know what? If the whole world falls apart, if everything goes from chaos to worse, he comes to the conclusion, no matter what, God, you're in control and nothing that's happened surprises you. He was living in some very difficult days, wasn't he? But at the very end of his writings, he finally comes to this conclusion. And I've told you that story of Habakkuk because I want you to, to, to hear what he comes to the conclusion of. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, and forgive me they're not on the screen. I, I just thought of these as kind of a last minute thing. But here's what he, he says after all of the interaction with his prayers to God, what God shows him. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. In other words, if the whole country collapses economically, if everything just goes to hell in a handbag, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high places. In other words, God will give us stability in the midst of the dark days in which we live. That's what Habakkuk is saying. But there's one more sentence in verse 19 that I did not read. And it seems insignificant, maybe. It's in God's Word, so it's not insignificant. But listen to the last part of verse 19. Because see, I stopped at, He will make me walk on my high places. But the rest of that verse, one more sentence. 
almost like a footnote, he says this, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Now, you know what that tells me? That verse tells me that what we just read, that what Habakkuk came to, he actually wrote a song. He looks at his world and it's falling apart and the man picks up his pen and he concludes his thoughts with writing down some lyrics, gives it to the musician on stringed instruments and says, let's sing this. What's the point? This. We're living in some difficult days. No question. All of us are being challenged in a multitude of ways. Don't let it steal your song. Don't let it rob you of your joy. He says, even though all the world, even though the Chaldeans come against us, even though things collapse all around me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord God who's my strength. He gives me stability. I'm able to stand. He makes me to walk in a different way. And I don't want to lose my song. Folks, our Lord is never surprised. And He is always in control. Be encouraged. Well, there are four more things we want to look at next week. I hope that you will join me. Have a good and godly week. Until next time, take care.